0: Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois 62234. For a year end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir.
1: The following is an encore presentation of Issues, etc. Both Roe v. Wade and the Burgerfell contradict natural law. You'll never be on the wrong side of history when you're on the right side of natural law. For a long time now, the church has been infected by the world to make a woman think that to be of value, she must basically become a man. The dare that we can give is, I dare you to read this. I dare you, because the word of God is living, mighty, and active, sharpened to his sword, and it's even living for people who are deniers and rejectors of it. The one truth is that Jesus the Christ was born, died, and rose again from the dead for the salvation of men. Utilization Review Nurses love to listen to Issues Etc. while they work. Can I help you?
0: Technology has improved the lives of hundreds of millions. In the last two centuries, the advancements have, well, what brought us what would have been unimaginable to people living before the technological and industrial boom, but are there downsides to the use of technology, the overuse of technology? And some even suggest that humans and technology ought to merge, be that technology biological or maybe even electronic. And they say the next big boom in human improvement is just around the corner. Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about transhumanism. It's an ideology. It's a movement. It's a philosophy. It's also a kind of a religion, too. Brandon Steenbach joins us. He's Family Life Minister at St. Mark's Ministries in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He holds a Master's in Arts and Theology Studies, For Martin Luther College, his master's thesis was Do Cyborgs Have Hope? He is currently pursuing a doctor of ministry at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and he made a presentation at the recent Apologetics and Worldview Conference titled Answering the Transhumanist Challenge, Finding Our Dignity and Purpose in the Incarnate Christ. Brandon, welcome to Issues Etc.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Many think of transhumanism as science fiction, is
2: it? (laughs) Yes and no. I like to say science fiction is just today's fiction about tomorrow's science. If you think about it, a lot of our current technologies would have been called science fiction decades ago. right? So what we're going to see in the future, maybe we would see it in a movie today and then in 30 years, it's a reality. So science fiction just asks the question, what if? And transhumanism kind of does the same thing. The difference maybe is that the science fiction writer is just guessing the transhumanist is actually trying to make it a reality. What is transhumanism? What's a simple definition? Sure. Well, it's a movement, it's a philosophy, and it's a worldview. So the transhumanist society, kind of the official group, defines it as a class of philosophies, as me quoting them, class of philosophies of life that seek the continuation and acceleration of the evolution of intelligent life beyond its currently human form and human limitations by means of science and technology guided by life-promoting principles and values. Now, that's a huge statement. There's a lot of things to unpack in there. But basically, there's, as I say, a movement. There are people who are dedicated transhumanists. They write papers. They advocate. They speak. They write books, all that stuff. But then there's a philosophy behind this, which is really just this desire to see humanity progress, move forward, aided by technology. And then there's that kind of worldview component where it's really a belief system about humanity and the future that sees technology as really the key to our future as a species i think actually the best quote that i've ever seen that really summarizes the transhumanist viewpoint is from elon musk who said it's ordinary humans having the ability to choose to be extraordinary
0: what are the basic assumptions behind transhumanism
2: Yeah, well, transhumanists would assume that humans are a product of evolution, that we've always been progressing and evolving, that we ought to be progressing and evolving, that it's the the fate or the, the good of humanity to progress, and that we have a responsibility even to do so. And that Really, we're at a place in human history where for the first time maybe in the history of our evolution, we're able to evolve ourselves, that we're actually able to direct that evolution by using technology. Now, another assumption they make is just that body autonomy is essential. In other words, I have the right to do what I want with my own body, whatever that means. Even I, I can change it if I see fit. So anything that I see is not right about my body, if I can find the technology to change it, I should be allowed to do that. One other assumption they've made, really summarized by Max Moore, who's one of the prominent transhumanists, is that religion has stood in the way of our progress. Uh, He actually said at one point that if we had believed in science instead of religion 2,000 years ago, we would be immortal by now.
0: (laughs) I want you to talk a little bit about that bodily autonomy, because that's a big issue in a lot of different places that wouldn't seem to touch or come near transhumanism. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, you know, we see that especially with the transgender movement right now, which actually I think is very closely tied to the worldview of transhumanism. While many people who are advocating for transgender rights may not call themselves transhumanist, in essence, the ability to use medical technology to change my body and make myself something other than what I am is exactly what transhumanism is about. Now, when you read transhumanist literature, they take that far beyond just changing my gender. They they take it to all manner of extremes, but it really is just the level that we're at right now. Transgenderism, I think, is a form of transhumanism. And so that bodily autonomy is kind of essential there. It's if I see anything not correct with myself, I need to be able to change it. And so whatever means necessary, I should be able to do that. So you, you sometimes see people who will do things like they'll insert silicon shapes and stuff under their skin to sort of change the way that their body looks there's kind of a famous case several years ago of a guy who changed the way his face looked so he looked more like a tiger and then got tattoos and all of that sort of thing there are other people who have inserted just different shapes in place of tattoos and then we've had cases of people who have actually said, well, I identify myself as, as an amputee. I see myself as, as more like an amputee than a normal person, even though they, they, they're not an amputee. And so they've actually tried to get the right, legally sued, to have the right to have a doctor remove a limb so that they can then have a prosthetic limb instead because they feel like that's more natural to them in some way. I mean, there's clearly some, some psychology, some major psychology issues going on here, right? And, and people who are struggling with mental health and the solution that the transhumanists far too often suggest is, well, maybe it's not a mental health issue. Maybe we should just allow them to change their body. And that, that doesn't help us.
0: Talk more about this idea of self-guided evolution, because evolution, classically understood, has no guide. That's the premise. The premise is that it is literally an evolution that runs itself, that is the result of completely random mutations. But there's nothing random about trying to fit your body in with technology. It's almost the opposite of random.
2: Yeah, and that's why they'll say, well, this is the the profound moment that we've come to where we're actually able to guide our own evolution, where the, the the chart and path of evolution has always been random, but what if it doesn't have to be anymore? So if we see it, because evolution is built on the idea of the strong will survive, right? Survival of the fittest. So what if you've developed the intelligence to where you can say, all right, I know what I need to do to survive in the future now so i I can identify what it would be that would cause me to die, and I can get in the way of that in some ways we already do that like medical technology is helping us do that in some ways because if I have cancer, uh, we have ways to you know help treat that cancer if I have uh, diseases that once upon a time would have claimed hundreds of thousands of lives we can actually take vaccines for we can do there are different ways that medical technology has already allowed us to survive longer and so this is just saying let's identify more of the problems and let's find more ways to eliminate them you mentioned max moore who are the major advocates of transhumanism Yeah, so Max Moore is one. He was the president of the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Another major advocate is his own wife, Natasha Vita Moore. She's written several books on transhumanism, um, including a a fairly easy read just called What Is Transhumanism? And it's kind of intended to be sort of a, I don't know, transhumanism for dummies. (laughs) It's kind of a, you know, just digestible short reader on the subject. Yuval Noah Harari is an author who wrote uh, Homo Deus, which is really a vision of the future of humanity. You kind of maybe recognize in that Homo Deus, the idea of humanity taking themselves beyond Homo sapiens to this godlike being. And uh, he's presented about that as well um, in many places. Nick Bostrom is another very prominent voice today. He has written several books about humanity's need to evolve so he advocates very much that we have to evolve there are people who won't call themselves transhumanists but they're really pushing for all the same things that transhumanism is i mean elon musk he's developing the neural link which is right in line with their goals and many other things that he's working on really fit with what transhumanism wants to see especially some of the the efforts that he has made to help deal with famine and disease and so on. Um, There's Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil was a a head of the uh, research and development division at Google for a long time. In fact, the AI that runs your phone, Ray Kurzweil would help develop that. Jerry Kaplan is another author who has written a lot about the economics of transhumanism, kind of where our future is going, especially with artificial intelligence, how it could release humanity from a lot of our labor and and struggle. You go back in time, there were some other voices like Julian Huxley, that was the brother of the famous author Aldous Huxley. And then there was another guy named F.M.S. Fandieri, who's kind of the... Maybe you want to call him the grand uncle of transhumanism. He changed his name to FM 2030 because he thought he would live till 2030. He he didn't. But he wrote a book called Upwingers, The Transhumanist Manifesto. Um, He was actually interesting because one of the things that he had to say was that anybody who engages with technology in some way to make their lives better or easier is a transhumanist. So here we are talking uh, at a distance through microphones and uh, he would say, "Uh, there you go. You're a transhumanist. I wanna come back to that particular
0: assertion in a moment, but you had mentioned artificial intelligence. What is it and how does it overlap with transhumanism?
2: Yeah, artificial intelligence is kind of a sticky issue even for the people who are researching it because we don't actually know how to define artificial intelligence, right? Uh, In essence, it is creating a computer program that can accomplish a task all on its own right and so my phone is able to go through the internet and find advertising things that it thinks i might be interested in and send them to me on my phone right or or it's able to look at maps and traffic patterns and decide what the best way for me to get from a to b is that's basic artificial intelligence doing those things we saw artificial intelligence in video games you know people would call it the ai that is the artificial intelligence that's running the enemy troops or whatever, if you're in a war game or something like that. But what they're really trying to push for is artificial general intelligence. That is a computer program that has so many firing links inside its structure that it actually is able to make decisions and gets to the point of even being self-aware. There's an example of this, the the robot Sophia. She was debuted a few years ago, I think 2018 or 2019 when she first was released. She has kind of a human looking face. She's got an AI built into it that's a learning AI that's actually even capable of assessing people's reactions to things. So she'll tell a joke and she can tell if you're laughing at the joke or not, and then respond appropriately. She she was on the Jimmy Kimmel show or, or one of the other ones uh, where she was interacting with the host and she kind of told a joke and then she said, you didn't seem to laugh very much at that. Did you not think it was funny? <laughs> so she was actually able to recognize this. And some, some transhumanists think that AI is gonna be a big part of our future because we can create computer programs that know how to run our farming equipment or our shipping so that humans can be taken out of the process, take out human error out of the process. You know, then you've got a lot more ability to produce effectively and safely. You know, even self-driving cars, we hear about that. Elon Musk is working on those with the Teslas, and there are a lot of other companies working on it. Heard a lot about it in the news. That's artificial intelligence running that thing.
0: We're talking about transhumanism with Brandon Steenbach. On the other side, what kind of theology is at work in transhumanist ideology? How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November.
1: Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com lutheracademy.com. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout.
1: Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child.
0: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about transhumanism. Brandon Steenbach is our guest He holds a Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Martin Luther College. His master's thesis, Do Cyborgs Have Hope? Brandon, what kind of theology is at work in transhumanism?
2: Hmm. I think it is a theology, honestly, because it it makes claims about God in the universe. Essentially, the claim that there is no God (laughs) and that the universe is a product of natural forces. It has its own anthropology that we as human beings are a product of evolution, and that we are capable of developing ourselves, that we, there is no limit, only the limits of where we are today, but that there's no limit to where we can become in, in the future. It has its own morality. A lot of transhumanists will talk about the responsibility we have, the obligation as humans to change, to progress. But then also, there's that bodily autonomy thing. In a lot of ways, it sounds very similar to the Wiccan philosophy of, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, do what you want to. It's very similar in the transhumanist thing. So there's a morality there. And then they wouldn't use this term, but I think there's a soteriology. They're actually selling a hope. What they're saying is, hey, human beings suffer. We have diseases. We have hunger. We have problems. We face death. We face debilitations from aging, and we can solve that. So they're really offering a form of salvation, a hope for the future, saying we can fix the problems that we have. We just have to find the right answers. And so it is its own kind of soteriology.
0: Does it have an eschatology? Does it promise some kind of an end or, for lack of a better word, kind of a blessed state once everything's all incorporated?
2: Yeah, sort of. What they'll say is that we won't ever really truly free ourselves from suffering. This is uh, Natasha Vita Moore writes about this. We will never find an end to suffering, but we may solve the problems that afflict us now, but we may also face new ones in the future. And so they don't really think that we can ever get to the point where we completely have freed ourselves from all ills. They just see that as part of the the thing that keeps driving us forward. And they're also kind of reticent to predict anything too far in the future because they kind of want to say it's all about exploration. It's all about discovery. It's all about finding the next step. And so if we predict too closely, then we may be promising something we can't deliver. Instead, they want to say there's not an end here, but if we're going to survive, we have to change. We have to get to post humanity. We have to not be human in the sense that we think of human anymore, whatever that looks like. So it's this hope that's saying if we can just, if we can achieve longer life, if we can achieve freedom from our limitations, then we can explore, we can go out there, we can unlock human potential, we can solve the problems we face now and just take it as it comes in the future.
0: You suggest a demonic origin to this transhumanist philosophy. Tell us about that.
2: You know, there's a lot of good reasons to think that the the false gods of the Old Testament weren't just figments of imagination or misguided ideas about God himself. You know, and you look in the story of the Tower of Babel, and at the end it talks about how God refers to, to giving to these powers uh, dominion over the different corners of the earth. And there's some good research that says that maybe it's— referring to specifically uh, angelic beings of some kind. You know, when you think about some of the the false gods mentioned in the Old Testament and how people worshiped them, and you kind of scratch your head and wonder, would people just believe this just totally made up? Or was there something actually manifesting? Were there actual demons who were manifesting to these people, miraculous signs that made them believe this is real, these things really happened? Paul kind of makes reference to that. Ephesians 6.12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and he kind of lists a whole host of things that often scholars have said, you know, this is probably referring to demonic forces. And so Paul seemed to think that that was true. John of Damascus writes extensively about this. If you read his writings, he talks about how all of these different city-states had a demon in charge of them, and really God is wrestling against them. And so I think there's a lot of validity to that idea that God kind of gave demons lease to have dominion over a certain place or a certain people or a certain thing. And so the question I would ask then is why not today? Well, maybe we just don't see it as much. Maybe there's a a demon of technology. (laughs) I've kind of wondered sometimes if uh, some demon was really the one who invented Facebook and Satan was like, get that guy a promotion, man, that was great. You know, he's really captivated the minds of people, the hearts of people and twisted them. I honestly think that there could be some demonic forces behind some of these things really pushing us because it pushes us away from Christ and it pushes us away from the hope that's in Christ. And so certainly there's something at work deeper than just our own human sin. Talk about the the sort of that unholy trinity of, of Satan, the world and our sinful nature. I don't think he would step aside on this one.
0: How does the transhumanist view technology?
2: You know, here's where I think we'd actually have some agreement with the transhumanist in this way, that we would agree that technology is not inherently good or bad, it's a tool. So as Christians, we would say, well, we can use technology to advance the cause of the gospel. God always has done so. The transhumanist says, well, we can use technology to advance the cause of humanity and humanism so technology is to be used, to be pursued, to be experimented with and explored. It's, to, it's connected to that humanist kind of we can achieve anything. But maybe the, the striking difference between the way we would view it and the way they would is there's a lot less caution. I guess I shouldn't overspeak myself because maybe a transhumanist would argue with me and say, no, 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 we do see caution in this. We've gotta be careful we don't abuse it or use it to, to cause harm. But I think that as Christians, we maybe have a natural tendency to say, okay, but what is this going to do to my soul? And the transhumanist is never going to ask that question.
0: While I would agree provisionally that the technology is not intrinsically good or bad, and it is a tool that can be used or misused. The technology itself isn't neutral. The medium is the message, to mm-hmm. quote someone, so that sure. it does shape. And I want you to talk about this the technology, especially if we're trying to incorporate it into our bodily humanity, does shape things in ways that we do not control.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's a great book on this by Tony Reinke called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. And it really addresses kind of the concern that technology isn't entirely neutral in terms of how it Impacts our lives. And so, a great example that he uses is just the way that it interrupts kind of the one to one connection or the personal connection of community. You know, I can engage with community online, but I can't engage with that community the same way as when I'm face to face with a group of people. A good example of that would be. I've got a group of guys that I I meet with regularly in person and we also text together. If we were only texting together, I don't think we'd be as open and honest with each other about things that we we talk about as we are because we also see each other face to face on a regular basis. So that's just one good example of it. Uh, I think the same could be said for instance with online worship. That's something that we're, you know, a lot of churches are wrestling with how to do that appropriately and let's just be honest, we can't do communion. We can't come to the table together around the Lord's supper. If we're all in our own homes, looking through a screen, it's just, we break something about the, the unity of the body of Christ there when we do that. So yeah, certainly technology has an impact on those things. And that's, once again, the difference between us and the transhumanists would say, you know, if I can create a digital avatar of myself in some kind of a VR space, there's really no difference because My personhood is bound up in my mind and my thoughts and my ability to sort of be self-aware. So what difference does it make if I'm in my body or not in my body? Whereas human beings, Christians, I should say, see human beings and and the fact that we have a body as really essential to our creation, that God made us to have a body. So there's something necessary about the connection we have with other people.
0: Brandon Steenbach is our guest. We're talking about transhumanism. He's family life minister at St. Mark Ministries in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He holds a Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Martin Luther College. His master's thesis was, Do Cyborgs Have Hope? We'll talk about the view of technology and transhumanism next. Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir.
1: Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era, what is truth? Many today would say that truth like beauty is in the eye of the beholder or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for
0: the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology.
1: Contending for truth in an age of antitruth, you're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Geeshen. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program.
0: Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Transhumanism is our topic. Brandon Steenbach is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues etc. Making the case for a Lutheran worldview, making the case against the progressive assault on the U.S. Constitution, and making the case against Christian silence. These are some of the presentations from the 2022 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, and you can watch or listen to a recording of this year's conference for a $300 tax-deductible gift by Labor Day. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or give us a call, 618-223-8385. Brandon, how does the transhumanist view
2: technology? It's useful, it's a tool, <laughs> it's flawed. Uh, Max Morris says at one point that mother nature did her best but her best was incredibly flawed and it's our duty and, and purpose to uh, fix it. So the body is to be adapted, it's to be changed, to be manipulated, we can, we can use genetics or we can use uh, modifications, we can use cybernetic modifications, whatever. So we can make it more effective, more efficient, or if we don't find any more use for it, it's disposable. Because once again, the body isn't the essence of what it means to be human, according to the transhumanist. It's really my mind.
0: Talk a little bit more about that. The, the divorce between mind, whatever it's going to be, consciousness, and our physical bodies seems to me a significant philosophical step.
2: Yeah. And there are some transhumanists who really have actually even suggested the idea that like the whole idea of self is an illusion, that I don't really exist as a self at all. I'm I'm nothing more than the firings of the neurons in my brain. And my conscious thought is really just the the natural outgrowth of the firings of the neurons in my brain. It's You kind of go down some of those, it becomes very nihilistic after a while and sort of like, well, then what's the point of anything? And some of them would say, yeah, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. But they do see the mind as as really essentially the self. So for many transhumanists, they actually see one of the hopes that we have would be if we could develop a neural network, an AI system that has so many small links between its networks that it really looks and behaves the way a human mind does, then we could copy all of the neural firings of a human mind and just copy that onto the neural links of an AI system, and now you have that person has been uploaded. And they would see that as, yeah, that's that person because I think therefore I am. That, that, that's me, that's gotta be me. I exist in this AI space now, and that my body really doesn't have anything to do with that. It's interesting when you think about that because a lot of neuroscientists have wrestled with this. There's a fantastic book called, uh, I think it's, Am I Just My Brain or Are We Just Our Brains? by Sharon Dirsch. And, uh, She basically explains how our brains are plastic. That is when I think about something the same way again and again, or I do a certain activity the same way again and again, I'm actually changing the shape of my brain, right? I'm rewiring the neurons to be more efficient. That's what a basketball player is doing when he shoots hoops, you know, three hours a day, he's rewiring his neurons so that he can more accurately hit that shot. When I memorize scripture, I'm rewiring my neurons so that scripture is more readily on the surface of my mind. I can bring it out more easily and can remember those words. And so what she suggests though, is that if that's true, then by thinking about the right things, I can change the shape of my brain. If that thinking is only the product of the shape of that brain, then we run into a circular argument in a sense, right? There's it, what where's the chicken, where's the egg here? So she suggests there's something outside the brain that actually influences what the brain does. The mind is not the brain, or not just the product of the brain. And Sharon is a believer, so she would suggest that's that's maybe the soul, but other neuroscientists who are not Christians, she quotes many of them, have simply said, we don't know. We just don't know what consciousness actually is. But to get back to the transhumanist question, they really do just see it as The mind is essentially the self, and the body is just a a vessel. So it's almost Gnostic in a way.
0: That kind of takes us back to the artificial intelligence question, because of late, many have been pondering whether they can or have achieved some kind of sentience, and I've seen people speculate that, well, if it can replicate the interactions of a sentient being well enough, it really doesn't matter whether there's sentience or soul or whatever you want to call it there
2: yeah uh, that's part of the discussion around i mentioned sophia before and actually she was granted citizenship in saudi arabia which sort of implies personhood right there's that old thing that you probably heard of the turing test that was the idea of well if an artificial intelligence can fool a human who doesn't know that it's artificial intelligence into uh, believing that it's a human being then then it's truly artificial general intelligence, many transhumanists have ditched that as a proper test because what they've said is exactly what you said, which is it doesn't need to be able to fool me into believing it's not a human. It doesn't have to be. It just has to be able to think for itself. And if it can think for itself, if it can replicate its own thoughts, if it can be self-aware, then why is it not a, a person just like I am? But if I see my mind as just a product of firing neurons, then I am just essentially a fleshy robot. And so what's the difference, right? I'm just a more advanced one. Is that part of the transhumanist argument that this
0: integration of us physically with technology is simply just doing kind of on a macro what nature's already done at a microscopic level, if we're just machines? Yeah,
2: yeah, probably. I mean, some at least, you know, like with any worldview, you're going to read a lot of differing opinions on these things, and so there are certainly some who would say, "Yeah, we are just a much more advanced form of the thing that we're creating right now." There are some who have have argued that you know Mother Nature produced us, and we're producing the next thing. And there are even some who think that really humanity, it, our fates to exist in the future is not actually to be for us as humans to survive, but rather for us to produce a new entity that will survive past us. So that the AI we're creating now is really, in a sense, our children who will survive past the death of all of humanity.
0: What problems does transhumanism seek to solve? You had mentioned earlier suffering.
2: Mm -hmm. Disease, famine, age, death. I mean, it's all the bad stuff that we see as the curse of sin. They see it too. They don't have blinders on about the world or about humanity. That we're all kind of aiming at the same goal. It's just that we have radically different solutions for how to address them.
0: What is transhumanism's proposed solution to human suffering?
2: It kind of depends on the transhumanist you talk to and and what area of research they're most in, invested in or passionate about. So you know, let's take aging, for instance, there are geneticists who are trying to find ways to unlock the genes that cause us to age. Actually, Google has funded a thing called Project Calico, which partners with Ancestry.com. If you ever uh, have ordered one of those Ancestry DNA kits, check that fine print real closely because it does say in there that unless you opt out, they're going to use the data from that DNA test that you send, you submit it to them, and they'll send you back the results. They're going to use that as part of their research to sort of map the human genome. And their, their goal is to find the genetic causes of aging. Because if we can turn off the switch that makes us age, then maybe we can buy ourselves more years. Maybe not all the more years, you know. Maybe we can only turn it off so much. Maybe it only buys us another fifty to hundred years. But boy, if I could live another hundred years, then and that gives me all the more time to keep researching and seeing if I could buy another and another, till eventually I, I can unlock uh, really indefinite lifespans. So that's 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 one proposed solution. You mentioned famine. So I, I mentioned before that. There's research into using AI-controlled robots to do all of our farming and and harvesting. A robot doesn't have to be fed. It has to be powered, but we can find solutions for that. It doesn't have limitations such as uh, it's got to stop working after eight hours. (laughs) It doesn't have limitations of temperature, climate, such, you know, things like that, light. So it can certainly accomplish more than a human being can if you can get it to the right level. So then, boy, we could produce a lot more food. And then AI controlled shipping, because part of the problem with food, if you talk to people who are really trying to solve the problem of hunger in the world, they'll say it's not A limitation of food production. It's a limitation of distribution and it's human elements that get in the way. So if we can eliminate some of those, then maybe we would be able to feed more people more easily, solve that problem as well. Diseases, there's the hope that uh, maybe we can develop Organs that are 3D printed using our own stem cells. So, harvest some stem cells from you, use that to create more, 3D print a heart to replace your fading heart. And now your heart is fine. It's as good as new and it'll keep beating for another 80 to 100 years. So, those are some of the solutions they propose. You know, others will propose, I mentioned the brain uploading that maybe my goal is just to get. technology to the point where i can upload my brain i can free myself from my body upload it into a new uh, robotic body once we get the technology uh, solved and
0: there we go in contrast what is the biblical view of suffering understood in light of jesus incarnation
2: yeah so suffering is a result of the fall it's a result of sin it's not just a it's not a natural part of the world which is what the transhumanist will say rather it is an intrusion into the world brought in by sin but it's also something that Jesus took on. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, I'm going to hand you a, a manual for how you guys can eliminate suffering on earth. Rather, he came and he endured suffering, our suffering for us, which in a lot of ways, I think should teach us something about suffering, that in this life, it's, it's something to be endured. And that doesn't mean we don't as Christians, seek to minimize suffering for other people, but that's part of the the bearing of each other's burdens. In many ways, actually, if I eliminated suffering, then I also eliminate the opportunity for my fellow Christian to bear suffering for me. And so am I losing something? And I'm also eliminating my opportunity to rely more fully on God, who really promises an end to suffering. That's the thing, Jesus' incarnation, he took on our suffering so that He could put an end to suffering so that he could promise us that there's a time when we won't ever suffer again. He's given us a hope and a future. He's given us the promise of heaven where he says, there will be no more suffering at all. And so I don't need to try to find a way to get free of suffering in this life. I already have the promise of an end to suffering. Jesus became one of us for that purpose.
0: So what does transhumanism teach about death We'll answer that question with Brandon Steenbach next. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff, and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc., and thank you, dear listeners, for all
1: your support and patronage over these years. God bless you, from Ad Crucem. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Lutheranism in the public square. You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: As we prepare to gather with loved ones this Thanksgiving and thank God for the blessings he has provided, we want to give thanks for all who support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries. Hi, my name is Rahema Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at Lutheran Church Extension Fund. At LCEF, we believe in nurturing the growth of LCMS Ministries, ensuring they have resources they need to thrive. And we can't do it without our investors, partners, and employees. From all of us at LCEF, thank you and Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about transhumanism with Brandon Steenbach. Brandon, what does transhumanism believe and teach about death?
2: It's a natural part of the, the life cycle, but also one that we want to conquer, that we want to try to eliminate, or at least get to the point where death is no longer an inevitability, but rather an option. But they also say death is the end. If Once again, if I am just my mind, then when do I die? Well, when my mind no longer has the ability to exist. So if my body dies and my mind hasn't been uploaded, then I'm dead. I'm just gone. But if I could change my mind, if I could you know, keep my body going, keep my mind going, then I can forestall death. So it's it's kind of this inevitability that they're trying to forestall that really is the, the darkness at the end of all things.
0: How does a Christian understand death?
2: Very differently, right? For us, uh, death was an intrusion. As I said before, it's something that was brought on by sin. But when I'm in Christ, when I trust in him, when I have him uh, and his hope, I see death really as the gateway to eternal life. I mean, I see it as an opportunity to be with Jesus. Like Paul said, to be out of the body is to be with Christ. And so when my body dies uh, and my soul goes to be with him, then I'm with him. Now, it's also something that's been conquered, that Jesus incarnation part of the essential nature of Jesus incarnation is that he took on death and then defeated death that he conquered it that he destroyed it and that my body is no longer subject to it forever not eternally that he's promised a resurrection so one thing one or the other either he's going to come back while i'm in this body that's subject to death and the chains of death are going to fall off of it and i'm going to be free of it in my body or i will die and Jesus will return and he'll resurrect my body, reunite it with my soul, and and I'll be free of death then. Either way, death is it's a defeated enemy. And there is a sort of inevitability, but it's an inevitability for death. <laughs> death is to pass away itself.
0: So let's talk about human limitations. Seems to be something that kind of annoys transhumanists. How do they seek to overcome them?
2: What? Once again, there's some crossover here where we would say that human limitation, like for example, I wear glasses and I've got a bad back and those are limitations, right? And Christ promises me a time when that's not going to be a problem for me. But there are other things like the need to breathe oxygen and the need to live in a climate somewhere between zero and a hundred and so on that the transhumanists would say, well, well, that's also a problem and the limitation of not being able to just be wherever I wanna be whenever I want to be, and that's also a problem. So they see some of the limitations that sin brings, they see some of the limitations of the design that God made us in, and they don't see a difference. Those are all kind of the same category. And so what they're trying to do is advance technology to sort of one thing at a time, eliminate that. So like I mentioned, You know, I've got bad eyesight. Okay, well, the transhumanists, there's actually a company that's working on a replacement lens for your eyeball that is so advanced that it'll never lose its shape. It'll always be perfect. If you can get this implanted properly, then I'll never need to wear glasses. But actually... (laughs) If they can get it advanced to where they want it to be, it'll it'll have a Bluetooth connection to my phone so it can actually provide data as I'm looking at things. If I see a movie poster, it'll give me show times, so whatever augmented reality I wanna program into it. So that's a human limitation that they'd like to overcome. I mentioned before, you know, the limitation of temperature, right? I can only live between about zero and a hundred degrees and I'm not always all that comfortably. What if we could either adapt the human body by changing our genetics, or maybe we could build cybernetic bodies that we can implant our brains into and, and they can survive all kinds of extremes. That, boy, then I could go and explore anywhere. Uh, maybe I could create a body that can go under the water and survive the pressures without any damage and go explore the bottoms of the sea has me think a little bit about Psalm 139 now. Even if I made my bed in the depths of the sea, still you'd find me there. Uh, The transhumanist can't escape God. Hmm.
0: Why is it easy for even Christians to fall into the trap of transhumanism? You say that asking the question, where do we draw the line, really is the wrong question to ask you.
2: Yeah. So when I was presenting on this, I, I talked a little bit about how as a youth minister, for a long time, I'd have teens ask that question about intimacy with a a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, how far is too far? And I'd always tell them, well, that's the wrong question. And I thought a little bit about that with this as well, that, you know, there is, if we ask how far is too far with our technology, maybe we're asking the wrong question, but at the same time, it's really the wrong category of questions. And I say that because let me give you a good example. If, If somebody has lost an arm in an accident and they can get a prosthetic that is so advanced that it can be wired into the neurons in their arm so that they can actually feel what that prosthetic touches. And the fingers can be so well articulated that when they think those fingers can move and they can move like the fingers of a human hand, this person who lost their arm could have a prosthetic arm that really in many ways functions just like their their old arm. And I wouldn't say that's a bad thing. Like if I, as as a a Christian leader in a church, if a member came to me and said, hey, I have this opportunity to replace this this arm that I lost with this, should I do so? I don't think I would say no. Why would I say that? But of course, that arm could be modified then. Maybe they would put, you know, like a a Leatherman multi-tool inside it or something so they could use it to do anything. And maybe they would start to think of that arm as better the human arm that they lost you know hey look how cool this arm is i can modify it i can change its colors i can make it look really cool there's a company that does these things called hero arms they look like arms from marvel movies and stuff like that and at some point does the temptation become to see the technology as better than god's own design for me and At what point then does somebody say, well, shoot, my friend lost her arm, and then she got this prosthetic that's awesome. What stops me from having my arm surgically removed and adding this awesome prosthetic arm that's better than, that's an upgrade. It's better than the one that I have. Why shouldn't I be allowed to do that? Then... As Christian leaders, we have to search scripture to say, okay, how how do I guide you to an understanding? Because I can't point to one verse that says, thou shalt not cut off your arm, but I can certainly point to a a variety of scripture that says, this is not wise and not good for you. But it just comes down to once again, what am I hoping in? Does my friend who lost her arm and and now has this prosthetic arm, does she hope that in heaven she's going to have a prosthetic arm or does she hope she'll have her whole human body again? Another example might be Elon Musk's neural link. It's a fascinating piece of technology. It's going to have the ability to put an end to paralysis. Somebody who's maybe had their spine severed halfway down their back, a neural link above and below the breakage could actually bridge that gap, send the information from the neurons straight across, and now that person could walk again. I don't see you know, how any of us could say, well, that's, that's a bad thing. That sounds great. That sounds like a wonderful way to use technology to help and to heal. Yet at the same time, how could that be abused? One of the ways that the neural link could be used would be to alleviate depression, put an implant in the right place in the brain, program it the right way. It can disrupt the neural uptake that causes me to have chemical depression. And so I could really accomplish the same thing that antidepressants accomplish without the side effects of taking a chemical. That sounds good until you realize that all of those different hormonal and um, neurotransmitters, they're all working together to really build a lot of experiences, including how I experience pleasure, how I experience food and hunger and such. And so if I could program it to turn off one thing, could I program it to turn off another or to enhance another and make everything feel better? And then what's to stop me from saying, well, shoot, My friend's got that neural link, and he's got a program so that colors are brighter, food tastes better, sex feels better. Why shouldn't I be able to have one of those as well? And before we think, well, okay, certainly that sounds like, why would I do that? But we already did that, right? Somebody got a smartphone that gives them access to all kinds of things on the internet, some of which are good and some of which are definitely not. And how many of us as Christians have adopted that technology as well? And how many have found our way into some of those things that we shouldn't on the internet as well, right? So we've opened ourselves up to these things. So we are are very prone to not seeing the bad until after we've already adopted it. Finally,
0: you have said that transhumanism is an ideology as dangerous as and as deadly, perhaps potentially harmful, as Marxism. Mm. Why is that?
2: Well, because at its essence, it turns us away from the hope of Christ. Transhumanism is saying the hope for humanity is to be found in humanity, in our ability to advance humanity, in our ability to change or to adapt and to develop ourselves. And so it eliminates the need for a savior. And anything that eliminates the need for a savior is just as dangerous for our faith, right? But more so because of its insidious nature. It doesn't just come out. You're never gonna have some some person stand up on a stage with the next greatest technology and say, with this, you never need to believe in Jesus again. <laughs> Nobody's gonna say that. Rather, they're gonna say, hey, here's this cool new technology, let us show you what it can do. And then they're gonna show you all the cool stuff You go, oh, that looks really awesome. Boy, here's this new technology that's gonna let me stand in a VR space with my friends and family members and it'll look and feel just like we're in the same room together having a conversation. I don't need to hop on a plane, I don't need to travel to where they are, we can all just be here together. And the next thing you know, there's a church who's saying, hey, we've created a VR church environment. You don't have to leave your home, just put on your VR headset and you're in church. You never need to come to church again. Whoa, whoa, where have we gone with that, right? And so that's the kind of, you know, some people might call it a slippery slope, but let's just remember the slope is slippery. 30 years ago, we weren't talking about changing our gender, today we are. And so we have to be aware of the fact that these little little changes, these little tiny steps into the pool of technology can solve all of our problems really just leads me away from the simple solution of trust, trust, trust in my savior. He has this. He knows how I'm made. He knows what I am. He knows who I am. He knows the diseases that plague me. He knows the suffering that I carry. And he came to put an end to it. He loves me and he's given me a hope in a future, and I trust him. And I can face all things because I have him. You know, then I can put all this technology in its right box and you know, in the bounds that it should be bound into. Transhumanism doesn't do that.
0: Brandon Steenbach is Family Life Minister at St. Mark's Ministries in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He holds a Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Martin Luther College. His master's thesis was, Do Cyborgs Have Hope? He is currently pursuing a Doctor of Ministry at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He made a presentation at the recent Apologetics of Worldviews conference titled Answering the Transhumanist Challenge, Finding Our Dignity and Purpose in the Incarnation of Christ. Brandon, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for having me.
0: Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss unity and uniqueness according to the Bible with Pastor Mark Bestel. We'll talk with Emily Cook about pro-abortion radicals lying about red state laws to scare Americans and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. The answer to human suffering and death is not to move beyond our humanity. Technology is not the answer to suffering and death. Does it help us? Does it serve as a useful tool? Yes, of course, but it's not a savior. The answer to these things, suffering and death, is not our technology, but Jesus in the flesh. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc.
1: Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois 62234 Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois 62234 You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.